Hello, this is World Focus from Brussels. My name is Svein Helgason. China faces increasing international pressure over its treatment of the mostly Muslim Uyghur population in the northwestern region of Xinjiang. More than one million Uyghurs and other Muslims, including ethnic Kazakhs and Uzbeks, are in government-run detention camps, according to reports by human rights groups, international media and many others. Outside of the camps, the 11 million Uyghurs living in Xinjiang have continued to suffer from a decades-long crackdown by the Chinese authorities. Parliamentarians sitting in Belgium's Chamber of Representatives have now submitted a resolution calling for the Belgian government to declare the persecution of the Uyghurs a genocide. On Monday, 29th of March, I spoke with Samuel Kokolati, an MP from the Ecolo Green Party and the co-sponsor of the resolution. He has been sanctioned by the Chinese government, which rejects that a genocide is being committed against the Uyghurs, calling that and other accusations the biggest lies of the century. Samuel Kokolati thinks otherwise and wants the international community to take a real stand against China on the issues of human rights. The Uyghurs are facing genocide because of our religion and our ethnicity. China doesn't want the world to see Xinjiang up close. To see the crackdown, it calls an answer to terrorism. There have only been fleeting glimpses of swelling detention centers, but now there's real proof. Secret blueprints of mass incarceration and indoctrination of Muslims. Uh, there's no so-called genocide or forced labor or mass sterilization or other things. We call it the lies of the century. What does the resolution call for and why did you put it forward? So in February, a few weeks ago, the Green Party was one of the first in Europe to submit a formal call for recognition of the genocide by the Chinese Communist Party against the Muslim Uyghur minority in uh, Xinjiang. The resolution itself also calls for the end of the extradition agreement between Belgium and China. That extradition agreement just entered into force last December, so it's very recent, but it was signed in a totally other context some five years ago. It also calls for the end of the investment agreement signed between the European Commission and uh, the Chinese uh, regime. So it was, of course, um, a controversial text, a controversial resolution uh, in Belgium, but also European politics. But I think it is um, a very important step forward because we, we keep receiving reports from NGOs like Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International um, testifying, for example, uh, on cases, on atrocities, of um, separation from, for separation from children, uh, from their parents. Uh, and I think it was time to act also in a democracy like, uh, like Belgium, also in a European member states. I think it was important to take this step um, in, in Belgium. And so the, now the text is being examined um, in, uh, in, in the Belgian parliament. We will have uh, public hearings with experts, but also with Uyghur refugees within the Belgian parliament in the coming weeks. Uh, and then the parliament will be able to vote on the text. And that will be an important moment, of course. The Chinese government has targeted you, I think, nine other individuals and four entities with sanctions. 
First, let me be very clear. I'm not against China. I'm not anti-Chinese. I'm not calling for a new type of Cold War against China. Not at all. Second, I'm not spreading any lies. Uh, I'm not even the author of the reports on mass atrocities occurring in China. My job as a democratically elected member of parliament is simply to read the reports I receive from organizations like Amnesty International, like Human Rights Watch, but also to hear and listen to the testimonies of Uyghur refugees, including those who now live in France and Belgium, and who can tell me about, for example, cases of forced sterilization and horrible cases of separation, uh, for example, from their children. And I feel it is my responsibility, my mandate, my job, as a democratically elected MP in Belgium to call for sanctions and to call for action against those mass atrocities. At some point, I'm sorry, but we shouldn't be surprised that if democratically elected members of parliament do not do anything, remain uh, kind of deaf uh, to these reports and remain silent, we shouldn't be surprised that nothing happens positively regarding uh, the respect and promotion of human rights in, in China, but also in other countries. So that's why I, I think um, the, the depiction of uh, my role as being someone who would spread lies is completely uh, inaccurate, uh, false, but also actually counterproductive. Because by imposing those sanctions on democratically elected members of parliament, but also researchers and, and well-respected academic researchers, I think that China is really showing that what they are targeting is not big economic or military interests, but rather our core freedoms which are really, you know, the, 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 the fundamental values upon which the AU is, is founded, actually. And so that's why I think that those sanctions are, are very symbolic and, and, and quite grave. Now, regarding the impact and the cost of those sanctions upon me, I must be very clear and, and very humble. I mean, those sanctions do not have any concrete impacts on my, on my daily life. They are clearly nothing, nothing in comparison with what millions of Uyghur, of Tibetans, of people in the streets in Hong Kong have to live every day. And so that's why I think, again, it is our responsibility to speak on behalf of those who do not have the same freedoms as us in democratic countries. So your assessment of these documentations, you mentioned uh, witness testimonies, how robust are these evidence for the alleged uh, abuses of human rights by the Chinese government? Because China says uh, they reject this, they talk about fabrication of forced labor, they say these are security measures against terrorism and extremism. How can we assess that this actually is happening? Well, first of all, Let's, let's assume that uh, China would be right and that millions of Uyghur would be um, terrorists, accused of terrorism, quite none, because that is, of course, not the case and it's not possible to have such a huge amount of, of people involved in acts of terrorism. But even if that were the case, they are still entitled to basic rights and freedoms. And I'm sorry, but... China has no right to detain all of them arbitrarily, to torture them, and to, you know, rape the women systematically in those camps. So again, I mean, 
I can hear this defense from China about terrorism, but that doesn't bring us any much further in the discussion on the respect of fundamental values like human rights. Now, um, regarding the robustness and the objectiveness of the objectivity of the of the reports, I believe that is extremely important, and it is why, for example, in the debate in the Parliament on my own resolution, I have asked repeatedly to be able to hear China. I'm more than happy to hear what China has to say. I'm more than happy to be able to have access to Xinjiang. The problem is that China is always responding, no, we don't respond to that. It is our own internal affairs. And no, you will be sanctioned. You won't have access to uh, the Chinese territory. Uh, and not to say the least, you, will, you won't have access to, to, to the, the province of Xinjiang. So again, I think... If China were really serious about its plea for defense and were really serious about human rights, I believe that China would simply open the doors of its country to human rights investigators, to human rights experts, to UN special envoys in order to be able to um, publish statements about the situation on the ground in Xinjiang, in Tibet and in Hong Kong. But that is not the case. So... Again, I'm sorry, but I, I have to, uh, to say that with the information we have now, um, with the reports on forced sterilization, on forced separation of children from their parents, on mass atrocities, on torture within the camps, I have to say that the evidence we have now points to a very serious risk of a crime of genocide currently happening and, and currently happening against the Uyghur minority uh, in China. So you mentioned this trade investment agreement, the comprehensive trade investment agreement, a, a huge thing uh, recently uh, agreed by EU and, and, and Beijing. So there is this kind of balance because there's a huge economic stakes involved here. Pressure from the business community, pressure from politicians, access uh, to Chinese market for European companies here in Belgium and otherwise also. So people say we have to take that into account also, not take risks. So how do you balance that? Or is it simply you're asking for putting human rights at the core of everything? And how realistic is that? Well, first of all, um, it's not me who's asking for um, putting human rights at the core of our external relations. That is the treaty on the European Union. The foundational treaty on the European Union calls in its Article 3 for the recognition and for the defense of basic human rights, of democracy, of solidarity in our external relations with other countries such as China. So I think it is simply our legal duty uh, as EU member states, but also it is up for the EU Commission to respect the foundational values of the EU and simply to respect um, the, 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 the treaties. Um, that is one. Uh, two, I think we should be coherent at some point. You cannot, on the one hand, impose sanctions on China and denounce human rights violations and a crime of genocide happening, and on the other hand, do as if nothing happened and signed an you know, uh, extradition agreement and an investment agreement with China. That is completely incoherent. And at some point, you shouldn't be surprised if nothing happened concretely on the ground in China if we keep the business as usual model with uh, the authoritarian regime of China. So I understand this is a difficult conversation, uh, but I am very clear and straightforward. I think that when 
basic human rights are in danger, it is our duty as EU member states to act, not to remain silent and to say, sorry, this is going too far. And I think that such a convention on investment, I'm, I'm whole happy about free trade with all kinds of countries. But I think at some point, when you find such a text, which has no binding reference to human rights provisions, which has no binding prohibition on forced labor, for example. I think we, it's, it's really fair, fair to say that this treaty really is in total contradiction with all the basic freedoms and values upon which the EU is, 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 is founded. And so as long as we have sanctions upon researchers, upon um, you know, democratic parliamentarians in the EU imposed by, by China, I think it is fair to say that it is really not the time to discuss such a treaty. The U.S. seems to be with an, a new, of course, uh, president and a new administration in the White House, seems to be taking a, you might say, a tougher stance. And Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said uh, this Saturday that basically speaking to the, the sanctions, these and all, also against U.S. citizens, that the Beijing is trying to intimidate and silence those speaking out on human rights, exactly perhaps what you were referring to. So, and he also spoke about ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity. Uh, what's your assessment of, we often use this term, the international community? Is the pressure ramping up and will it deliver anything? Well, first, I think it is um, right to observe that the pressure is ramping up and that the world has dramatically changed. Uh, in the last uh, five years. When you think just of my country, my own country, Belgium, uh, five years ago, we were signing and ratifying an extradition agreement with China in exchange for the donation by China of two pandas to one of the biggest zoos in, in, in Belgium. This may makes you laugh, but that's the, the reality and that's the, the truth. And so now what you're seeing and what we're observing since last Monday, since uh, the ministers of foreign affairs of the EU imposed sanctions on uh, China is like um, a reality check, a reality check, uh, a, a wake up call. And, and I think it's, um, it's a positive step. Uh, I think it is good that finally political, political leaders in Europe can, can wake up and uh, finally realized that uh, China remains a communist authoritarian regime. Now, I think it won't be enough. I think that the, it would be very naive to think that the, the, the four officials sanctioned by the EU um, will change the situation in Xinjiang and that uh, Uyghur people currently detained in those camps will uh, you know, be freed um, in, in the coming weeks. I think that would be na very naive to think. And that's why I call to take further steps. And to begin with, I think it's important to uh, call the atrocities by the right name in uh, international criminal law. And so that's why I am calling for the recognition of the crime of uh, genocide. The Netherlands, Canada, the US have already done so. I think it is now time for other European uh, countries uh, to do the same and, uh, and also to act because it's not only symbolic. I think it's also important to say, look, you cannot do business as usual uh, with a country like China, which is accused of a, a very serious crime 
of genocide against um, a big part of its population. So that's why I think we, we will need to go further. And again, not in, um, in a tactic or a strategy of Cold War or confrontation. I mean, I'm not calling for this escalation. Uh, I'm really calling for going back to the essential. And what is in- essential, I think, for every country to be able to live side by side um, in a democratic and, and, and free world order is really to uh, come back to human rights values. Human rights were really um, enshrined after World War II um, in order to say that, look, every human being is entitled to the same universal freedoms. And that is important to say. I'm really uh, very critical of the people who say, uh, for example, in communist parties in Belgium, who say that, you know, running for um, rigor people or for, for people being, um, you know, oppressed in, in China would be like running for the US. I think it's way too simplistic. You need to see and, and watch, it, watch what is happening now in, in Myanmar, for example. Um, people in Asia are really fighting sometime like in Myanmar, uh, at, at, at risk for their lives, they're fighting in order to gain democracy. And I think it is, again, our duty uh, to speak up for those people. Uh, those people are, are fighting. Um, you, you have seen this weekend what, what has happened mm-hmm. uh, with the military junta against uh, th- those, those citizens who were simply marching in the streets to, to ask for, for democracy. I think it is our duty to speak up and, and to be more vocal about human rights also in our countries. But you mentioned in the resolution forced labor and using enforced labor to pick cotton. What can the general public do basically with their wallets or can they somehow detect or act thinking about what they buy and where it's coming from, how it's supplied, etc.? Is that an option? Can we as just ordinary citizens, be it Belgium or Iceland, whatever, do something? Oh, completely, completely. I think um, citizens... I mean, it is thanks to citizens and thanks to their mobilization uh, against crimes in in Xinjiang that the EU was actually, uh, you know, acting finally after months of protests uh, in Brussels, but, but also elsewhere in, in, in Europe. So really w- what has happened last week with those sanctions imposed by the EU upon uh, Chinese officials responsible for grave human rights abuses is should be seen as a victory of, uh, of citizens, uh, of NGOs, of uh, human rights organizations, uh, so that, of course, citizens can do even more, even more in favor of, of human rights uh, abroad in, in, in China. And also as consumers, I think that as consumers, you can, of course, choose to act. And you have seen the reaction uh, directly, for example, by by Nike. Nike has now decided to make sure that um, all the products imported uh, from China, uh, which could be, you know, products of forced labor, notably by Uyghur people, should be forbidden. And of course, that is a dramatic change. You now seen big multinationals, big corporations realizing that actually being complicit in the chains of forced labor in China is actually bad for their business. 
And I think that is important. Again, uh, the respect of human rights shouldn't be just the cherry on the top of international trade. That should be the core of our values in all our external relations, but also in trades and investment partnerships. And that's why I really call citizens really to, to do even more and to act and, and to speak up on behalf of those people who are now being oppressed all around the world. A small nation like Iceland, um, which actually has a free trade agreement with China. In what kind of position, just on a final note, is Iceland to, uh, to act? To, uh, well, you know, I'm, it's, it's, an, it's a very easy question for me because uh, that's very often what people ask me. But Samuel, what can, what can a, a small parliamentarian, you're not even a minister, yeah. you're, you're, you're only 32 years old and, and, and you're just in the parliament of Belgium. Belgium is nothing. It's just a country of 11 million of people. Yeah. Uh, just compare that with a, a country of 1 billion, 400 million of people in, uh, for, for, for China. And so my answer is very straightforward. Yes, we can act. And not only we can, but we have a duty to act and to speak up. And I think that we can certainly um, join forces. And that is also important. We are not alone. Uh, so when, when I'm speaking in Belgium, I know that I have uh, 10 other colleagues uh, speaking up uh, in the UK, in Canada, in Germany, in Italy, in the Netherlands. And so I think that the more we can be on the international stage to speak the same language of universal human rights values. And if Iceland can also be part of that game, I think we will be much stronger. And that's the way we can reorient also politics, including within China. Says Samuel Kokolati, member of the Belgian parliament. My name is Svetalkason. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to The World Focus from Brussels.